Section 4 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matea Bracic. Section 4, Part 1, Section 2, Chapter 1. Hug Dietrich and Wolf Dietrich. Hug Dietrich and Fair Hildburg. While Ordnitz's ancestors ruled over Lombardy, the great emperor Antius lived at Constantinople and governed Greece, Bulgaria, and many other lands. When he died, he confided his son, Hug Dietrich, to the care of his faithful friend, Bertung, Duke of Meran, whom he had himself brought up and afterwards covered with honours. Bertung felt that his first duty was to choose a wife for his ward and that only a princess of equal rank and great beauty and wisdom would be a suitable helpmeet for so mighty a prince. He had travelled far and wide, and amongst all the princesses he knew, there was one and only one that he could propose as a wife for his liege lord. But there were many difficulties in the way. Bertung confided his troubles to the prince, and told him how much he wished to bring about a marriage between him and Hildborg, daughter of King Valgund of Thessalonica, but he feared it would be impossible, for Valgund loved the maiden so dearly that he had shut her up in a high tower and permitted no one to speak to her except the old watchman, himself, her mother, and her maid. This he did, fearing lest she should marry and leave him. Hukitrich listened to the strange story with great interest and determined to get a sight of the maiden if he could. So he set to work to learn all that he might of women's works and women's ways, even going so far as to dress himself in women's garments, after which he announced his intention of going to Thessalonica to make fair Hildbrog's acquaintance. He arrived in due course at Thessalonica, disguised as a great lady, with a numerous train of female servants. Hearing of the new arrival, the king and queen invited the stranger to visit them. She did so and gave their majesties to understand that she was Hilgunde, sister of the Emperor Hug Dietrich, and that she had been outlawed by her brother. She begged the king to protect her and to provide her with a lodging in his palace, and at the same time presented the queen with a costly piece of embroidery as a sign of her goodwill. Her request was granted. The queen then begged her to teach her ladies to embroider as she did herself. After this, all went so well that Bertung and his men-at-arms were sent back to Constantinople, their protection being no longer needed. Fair Hildburg heard what was going on, and begged her father to allow her to see the embroideries, and the artist who worked them. No sooner had she done so than she wished to learn the art. Valgund gave his consent, thinking the stranger a very suitable companion for his daughter, and Hildborg found great pleasure in her company. It was not until weeks afterwards that she discovered who her teacher was, and when she did, their friendship became stronger than before, until it grew into acknowledged love. The fear lest their secret marriage should be discovered one day reached a climax. "'What will become of us?' cried Hildborg. "'My father will never forgive us. He will order us both to be slain.' Then at least we shall die together, replied Hug Dietrich. But I hope for better things. The guards and your personal attendants are on our side, and I expect Bertung very soon to come and take me home to Constantinople, 
on the plea that my brother has forgiven me. I shall then send an ambassador to ask for your hand in marriage, and when your father knows our secret, he will not refuse his consent. Berton came as Hug Dietrich had expected, and fetched him away, but the wooing had to be put off till a more convenient season, as war had broken out on the frontier, and the emperor was obliged to take the field. Meantime, Hildburg was in greater danger at home than her husband in the midst of battle. She had a son. He was born quietly in the tower, without any one except the three faithful friends who guarded the princess there, knowing aught about it. It was not until months after this event that the queen, her mother, sent to say that she was coming to visit her daughter. She followed almost on the heels of the messenger. The porter pretended to have great difficulty in unlocking the door, and by the time he succeeded, the watchman had smuggled the child down to our safe hiding-place beside the moat. It was already evening, so the queen spent the night with her daughter. When she was gone next morning, the faithful servant hastened to where he had hidden the child, and it was not to be found. After long and anxious search, he returned to his mistress, and told her that he had taken the boy to a nurse who had promised to bring him up carefully and well. Soon after this, Berchtung arrived at Thessalonica to thank the king in his master's name for the reception he and his family had given the princess, his sister, and to ask for the hand of the lady Hildburg, with whom the emperor had fallen in love from his sister's description. The king put off giving any immediate answer to this request, and asked Berchtung to a great hunt he intended to give in his honour on the following day. It was a lovely morning when the hunters set out for the forest. They rode on cheerily, and had a good day's sport. At length chance led the king, and Berchtung past the tower where sad Hildburg spent her weary days in waiting for the husband who came not. As they rode along, they discovered the fresh track of a wolf leading towards a spring. They followed the spoor, which led them to a den in the thicket close by, and in the den was a strange sight. In the centre of the nest, and surrounded by a litter of wolf-cubs so young as to be still blind, lay a beautiful child. He was playing with the little wolves, pulling their ears, and chatting in baby language such as only mothers and nurses can translate. But evidently his companions did not like his attentions, and the mother-wolf's ire was so roused against him that it wanted very little more to make her spring upon the child, and put a sudden end to his play. The old wolf came up at the same moment, so that the danger was much increased. Seeing this, the two hunters flung their spears with so much skill as to kill both the old wolves on the spot. Then the king lifted the baby in his arms as gently as if it had been his own child. "'It is very strange,' he said, "'how much I feel drawn to this boy. But he must be hungry, poor little man. My daughter's tower is close to here.' We shall find some fresh milk there, and she will be glad to see the little fellow. She's so fond of children, and seldom gets a chance of seeing them. They walked on slowly, Berton carrying the child, while the king examined the wolf's track with great interest and attention. Look here, he said, is it not strange? The tracks lead straight from the den to the moat. I wonder if the wolf stole the child from anywhere near this. Fair Hildburg was not a little astonished when she heard her father's tale. She took the child in her arms, and at once recognized him by a birthmark on his arm in the shape of a red cross. 
She struggled to conceal her feelings, and offered as calmly as she could to take care of the child, and only begged her father to send a nurse as quickly as possible. When he got home, the king told the queen of his adventure, and she was very curious to see the child. She sent for a nurse, and accompanied her to the tower. Arrived there, the queen sought her daughter, and found her busied with the child. "'How I wish!' said the queen, taking it in her arms, "'that I knew who the boy's mother is. She must be in such distress.' "'Yes,' answered Hildborg, "'but look at his clothes, how fine they are. They show that he is of princely descent.' "'Oh, dear!' sighed the queen. What a lucky woman I should think myself if I had a grandson like that! Hildburg could keep her secret no longer. She threw herself into her mother's arms, and told her with many tears that she was secretly married to Hug Dietrich, and that the child was theirs. The queen was startled, angry, but it was done, and could not be undone. It was at least a comfort to think that the child's father was a mighty emperor, she told her daughter she would say nothing, but would think what was best to be done. Valgund felt strangely attracted by the child. He came to the tower almost every day to visit it and his daughter. On such occasions the queen would tell him how much she wished for a son-in-law, and such a grandchild as this. She reminded him that they might in their old age fall a prey to the barbarous tribes in the neighbourhood if they had not some young, strong man to take their part, and added that in her opinion Hug Dietrich would not be amiss. In short, the queen prepared the way so well that when Berchtung made his formal offer for the princess's hand, the king, after slight hesitation, gave his consent on the sole condition that Hildburg was not averse to taking Hug Dietrich as a husband. The queen then told her lord the whole story. "'Wonderful!' he exclaimed, too much astonished to be angry. Hug Dietrich arrived soon afterwards, and was publicly married to the Lady Hildburg. After the wedding festivities were over, he set out for Constantinople, accompanied by his beautiful wife, and the little boy, who was named Wolf Dietrich, in remembrance of his first adventure. With the empress, went Sabine, one of the notables of Thessalonica, as her father had much confidence in his wisdom, and wished him to be his daughter's counsellor in any matters of difficulty. He made himself so useful that he soon became necessary to her, and at the same time won the confidence of honest Duke Bertung so completely that he persuaded the emperor to make Sabine regent during their absence on a foreign campaign. The high position he had gained through the duke's kindness made the false-hearted man bolder and more self-confident than ever. One day he went so far as to speak unbecomingly to the empress. The noble lady reproved him severely, and he fell at her feet, begging her pardon, and entreating her not to tell the emperor of his impertinence. She promised, but commanded him never more to appear in her presence. When Hug Dietrich returned victorious, Sabine was the first to meet him, he gave him an account of his stewardship, and at last remarked, as though by chance, that there was a great deal of dissatisfaction among the people regarding Wolf Dietrich, the heir apparent, who rumour said was not the king's child, but the son of an elf, or, worse still, 
of an Alaran who had been palmed off upon the royal family by a witch, who Dietrich laughed at the story as at a nursery tale. The only effect it had on him was to make him take his own son from under the charge of Zabine and give him into the care of faithful Bertung, that he might learn all knightly exercises with the duke's sixteen sons. Time passed on, and the empress presented her husband with two other sons, named Borgen and Wachsmut, who were also sent to Bertung to be educated. The old duke loved all his pupils dearly, but Wolf Dietrich was his special favourite, for he showed himself full of every quality that makes a true knight a noble warrior. The busy emperor seldom found time to go to Lilienport, the castle of Moran, and Hildburg was a still less frequent visitor, so that Wolf Dietrich had grown accustomed to look upon Bertung as his father, and the Duchess as his mother. His brothers, Borgen and Wachsmut, had long since returned to Constantinople, where crafty Zabine did all that he could to gain their friendship and confidence. Their mother was sorry to see it, and fearing lest evil should come of it, she told her husband all that had happened between them many years before. Hugdietrich's wrath blazed forth, and Zabine scarcely escaped alive. He fled from the country and sought refuge amongst his kindred in the land of the Huns. Hugdietrich worn out by many anxieties and battles, grew old before his time. When he felt his end approach, he arranged all his affairs with the utmost care. He bequeathed to his eldest son Constantinople and the larger part of the empire, while the two younger sons were given kingdoms farther to the south, and the empress and Bertung were to see the will carried out. But scarcely was the emperor laid in the grave, when the notables of the land met in council, and demanded the recall of Zabina, because otherwise they feared he might carry out his threat of bringing the wild Huns upon them. The empress did not feel herself strong enough to withstand the clamour of the nobles, so she sent for the traitor. Wolf Dietrich and his Eleven No sooner had Zabina returned than he began to scheme again. He spread amongst the people his silly tales about the origin of Wolf Dietrich. He said that the Empress had been secretly wedded to an elf while she lived in that solitary tower, and that it was elfish spells that had prevented the wolves from tearing the child in pieces. The populace believed the story the more easily from its utter incredibility, and demanded that Wolf Dietrich should remain at Moran. Zabine even succeeded in making the royal brothers, Wachsmuth and Borgen, believe his tale and give him the power for which he hungered. Sure of his own position, he acted with the utmost harshness. He bade the empress leave the palace and go to her son at Moran. He only allowed her to take with her a maidservant, a horse, and her clothes. Everything else that she possessed, whether through her father or her husband, had to be left behind. The two young kings did not interfere on her behalf, for Zabine had shown them that her treasures would be very useful to them in equipping an army, supposing Wolf Dietrich and the Duke of Moran attacked them. When Hildburg arrived at Hugelwater, an outwork of Lilienporter, she was travel-stained and sorely spent. At first Duke Bertung refused to admit her, because she had recalled Zabine contrary to his advice. But at last, filled with pity for the unhappy woman, he led her into the castle, 
and treated her there with royal honours the duchess received her surrounded by seventeen young men who all called her mother the empress did not at once recognise her son who was the tallest and stateliest amongst them but as soon as each knew the other wolf dietrich throwing himself into her arms tried to comfort her by promising to restore her to her former rank and splendour duke berchtung at first counselled peace because the position of the two kings seemed to him so strong and unassailable but at length carried away by his foster-son's enthusiasm he not only gave his consent but placed his sixteen sons and their sixteen thousand followers at the disposal of the prince it was settled while the men were being called together that the duke and wolf dietrich should set out for constantinople and see whether they might not attain their end by peaceful means the day after their arrival they met zabina and the kings in council berchtung was received with all honour while nobody seemed even to see his companion when wolf dietrich rose and demanded his rightful share of the royal heritage borgen answered that a changeling had no right to any share and zabina added that he ought to apply to the alraun his father for a kingdom in the realms of hell wolf dietrich laid his hand on his sword but his foster-father's words and looks of entreaty sufficed to calm him down and prevent any open expression of anger the kings and zabina did their utmost to persuade the duke to join their party but in vain and when the council broke up the old man went away hiding his displeasure as best he could he and wolf dietrich mounted their horses and returned to lilienparte without loss of time after a few days rest they set out again for constantinople but this time in battle array on reaching the borders of moran they found the royal forces drawn up to meet them as the evening was closing in they encamped in a wide valley surrounded on all sides by a forest next morning the troops rose refreshed and each side made sure of victory the battle song was now raised and echoed amongst the mountains like rolling thunder next instant the armies met wolf dietrich was always to be seen in front all at once he turned to berchtung and said do you see zabine and my brothers on yonder hill i will go and see whether they or the alraun's son are the better men with these words he set spurs to his horse and dashed through the enemy's ranks old berchtung who had vainly tried to restrain him now followed with his sons and the small body of his men-at-arms as they neared the hill they found themselves surrounded by the greeks on every side the carnage was terrible six of berchtung's sixteen sons fell at his side while a stone struck wolf dietrich on the helmet and stretched him senseless on the ground but the old duke and his other sons picked him up and brought him safely off the field all night long they fled and after resting only a few hours during the day resumed their journey on their arrival at lilienporter they found that many of their men had got there before them we will await the traitors here said berchtung they may break their teeth on our stone walls and then go away worse than they came we have supplies enough to last four years and can bid them defiance soon after this the enemy appeared before the fortress sabina demanded that the prince should be delivered up to them and threatened that if this were refused 
he would burn the castle and all within it the only answer made by the besieged was a sortie led by wolf dietrich in person he was still hopeful of victory but numbers prevailed he had to retreat and with difficulty regained the fortress from that day he lost the confidence and gaiety of youth and became grave and silent his trust in the sure success of a righteous cause was gone he lost his faith in divine justice and said he had fallen a victim to the resistless power that men call fate Zigeminer. the siege had already lasted three years and yet there was no hope of an end the food had grown scanty and if the enemy chose to make famine their ally the castle must finally capitulate the duke vainly sought for some plan of deliverance one day wolf dietrich came to him and said that he intended to slip out of the fortress by night make his way through the enemy's camp and go to lombardy there to ask the help of ortnit the powerful emperor of the west the old man did his best to dissuade the lad reminding him that their provisions would last yet a year and that the enemy already weakened by sickness might raise the siege before long the young hero was not to be held back at midnight he took leave of his foster-father and his other faithful friends may god protect you my dear lord said berton clasping him in his arms you have to cross the deserts of Romelia, which are uninhabited save by wild beasts and evil spirits there you will find rauch else who lies in wait for young warriors beware of her for she is a witch cunning in enchantments if you are fortunate enough to reach the emperor ortnit do not forget your trusty henchman me and my ten remaining sons so they parted they arranged that the besieged should make a sally through the principal gate of the fortress to draw off the enemy's attention to that quarter while wolf dietrich got away by a postern door at the back he was nearly out of the enemy's camp when he was recognized immediately mounting his horse he drew his sword and cut his way through their midst and once in the dark forest beyond he was safe from pursuit all night long wolf dietrich rode through the wood he heard the werewolves howling in the distance but none came near to seek his life as morning broke he found himself by the side of a broad moorland lake all sorts of strange creatures rose out of it and sought to bar the road two of them he killed but he let the others escape he wandered three days in the wilderness finding nothing for his horse or himself to eat he shared the bread he had in his wallet with his steed it was but a little at best and the faithful creature was at last too exhausted to carry him farther so he dismounted and led it by the bridle on the fourth evening fatigue overpowered him so much that he was forced to rest he lighted a fire with the brushwood scattered about the warmth did him good for a cold mist hung over the face of the earth he and his horse quenched their thirst at a neighbouring rill after which he lay down and making a pillow of his saddle thought over his sad fate sleep was beginning to steal upon his senses when he was suddenly roused by a noise in the dry grass something black and horrible to look upon crept nearer and nearer it raised itself in the air its height was appalling it spoke to him 
not with a human voice the sound was more like the growling of an angry bear how dare you rest here said the monster i am rauch elsa rough alice and this ground belongs to me besides which i have another and a wider realm get up and go at once or i will throw you into the quaking bog wolf dietrich would willingly have obeyed but he was too tired he could not move he therefore begged the bear-like queen to give him something to eat telling her that his cruel brothers had deprived him of his inheritance and that he was now starving in the desert so you are wolf dietrich growled the bear woman well fate has marked you out to be my husband so you may count upon my aid upon which she gave him a juicy root and scarcely had he eaten one mouthful when his courage returned and his strength seemed tenfold what it had ever been before it even came into his mind that he could conquer the greek forces single-handed and set his eleven faithful servants free in obedience to ralph elsa's command he gave the rest of the root to his horse which first smelt it carefully and then ate eagerly no sooner had it done so than it began to paw the ground and neighed with eagerness to resume its journey speak will you be my true love asked the bear woman coming up to the youth and preparing to clutch him to her heart with her terrible claws keep back he cried drawing his sword demon that you are seek a husband in hell where alone you will find a helpmeet worthy of you have i not fed and secured you asked Frau Helse. was that done like a demon i have long waited for you to come and free me from an evil spell love me and save me it seemed to the warrior as if her voice had all at once grown soft and human in its tone yes yes he said if only you were not so rough and hairy he had hardly spoken when the black flea slowly slipped to her feet and a beautiful woman stood before him her brow encircled by a diadem and her green silken garment confined at the waist by a jewelled belt her voice was sweet and thrilling as she repeated her former words speak young hero will you love me his only answer was to clasp her in his arms and kiss her you must know she said that although rauh elsa was my name here in the wilderness i am really zigaminna queen of old troia your yes has set me free from the spell of the enchanter so we can now set out for my country of which you shall be king full of joy and thankfulness they started on their way followed by wolf dietrich's horse at last they heard the sound of waves breaking upon the shore to which they soon afterwards descended there they found a curious vessel awaiting them the prow was formed of a fish's head large and pointed at the helm stood a merman whose outstretched arm was the handle by which the rudder or fish's tail was worked instead of sails the vessel was rigged out with griffin's wings the advantage of which was that they enabled it to go against both wind and tide when such a course was thought desirable 
the merman was so marvellously fashioned out of cedar wood from mount lebanon that it could steer wherever the travellers wished without their help there were other wonders on board the ship such as a cap of darkness a ring with a stone ensuring victory to the wearer a shirt of palm silk and many other things the shirt seemed as though it would only fit a little child but when sigamina put it on her lover it grew bigger and bigger until it fitted him exactly take care of it she said and wear it whenever you are in any danger for it will protect you alike from steel and stone from fire and dragon's tooth wafted by the griffin's wings the vessel clove the western sea swift as the wind and soon brought the travellers to old troia there the people received their beloved queen with shouts of joy and cheered loud and long when she introduced the stately warrior borg dietrich as her future husband the marriage was solemnized with great festivities and a life of joy began for the new king by the side of his fair wife he forgot all his misfortunes and sorrows and alas even the eleven friends he had left in peril of their lives now and then when he was alone the memory of all that had come and gone would cross his mind like something he had dreamt and then he would reproach himself with neglecting his duty but zygimina had only to take his hand and he once more forgot that honour and duty alike bade him be up and doing once when he his wife and the whole court were out hunting a wondrous stag with golden horns broke out of a neighbouring thicket he did not seem to be afraid but after looking at the hunters turned back to the wood up good folk cried zygimina whoever kills that stag and brings me the golden antlers shall stand high in my favour and receive a ring from my own hand a number of huntsmen started in pursuit first among them wolf dietrich the stag led him by many devious paths only to disappear at last wolf dietrich returned to the tents much disappointed when he got there he found all in confusion for that terrible magician giant drusian followed by many armed dwarves had fallen on the camp during the absence of their king and his warriors and had carried off the queen no one knew where he had taken her to wolf dietrich was now as much alone in the world and as wretched as he had been that terrible day in the desert one thought filled his mind the thought of zygimina he would seek her through the world and if he could not find her he would die he exchanged his royal robes for a pilgrim's dress and hid his sword in a hollow staff which served to support him on his journey thus accoutred he wandered through many lands asking everywhere for the castle of giant drusian at length he learned from a tiny dwarf that the man he sought lived in the lofty mountains far over the sea and that many dwarfs owned him for their lord he set out again and journeyed on and on till at length the castle came in sight he sat down to rest by a spring and gazed longingly at the place where as he believed and hoped he should find his wife his fatigue was so great that he fell asleep dreamt of her and was happy in his dreams all at once he was wakened by a rough voice and a blow on the ribs what ho pilgrim said the voice have you snored long enough come home with me and have some food my wife wants to look at you wolf dietrich sprang to his feet and followed the giant who had wakened him so roughly 
and who now strode before him to the castle he knew that he had reached the end of his pilgrimage and entered the wide hall with thanksgiving and joy there sat Zygmina, her eyes red with weeping and as she looked at him he saw that she knew who he was he pulled himself together with a violent effort not to betray his identity there wife growled drusian there's the priest you wanted to see that he might speak to you about his religion what a might he is to be sure and as dumb as a lizard into the bargain there bag of bones he added turning to the pilgrim sit down by the fire and see if some of our good food will not warm your thin blood the pilgrim did as he was desired for anxious and excited as he felt he was starving dwarfs brought in food and drink and he ate till his hunger was satisfied the giant questioned him up and down and received short answers some of them it must be confessed far enough from the truth as twilight deepened drusian seized the lady by the hand and pulled her from her seat saying there you see the son of the aron who freed you from the bearskin he will not succeed in freeing you from me a second time he fears a broken skull too much the term you asked for is over now so come with me he would have dragged Zygmina from the room but the pilgrim had already thrown aside his disguise and drawn his sword from the hollow staff back monster he shouted that is my wife with these words he sprang upon the giant the suddenness of the attack made the latter jump exclaiming why alraun are you wolf dietrich if that is the case we must have everything fair and in order you must arm and fight with me if you are brave enough that is to say sigamina shall be the wife of the conqueror End of section 4